so good to have, so good to have you. Um, I'm going to get started here today. It seems like uh, everywhere I turn, I'm talking to people who are facing severe issues with their family, um, with their kids, with their spouse, with work, with finances, with health, and, and, and I'm noticing something different, though, that it's, there's a sense of, of, you know what, I just, I just want to give up. I quit. They're they're so overwhelmed with discouragement, they're done. Discouragement can it can be worse in some ways than the most deadly disease. Because it messes with your mind and then that is everything else. It goes goes through everything else. Listen close. The devil knows that the greatest thing that he can use against the believer is um, discouragement. But listen closer. Uh, you are never really defeated. Until you're defeated on the inside. Never really defeated until you're defeated. I'm talking about God's people. I'm not talking about the devil's crowd, if you will. It's possible for the people of God to get low and to get discouraged. <clears throat> but something different happens when we get discouraged because we're Christians and we, we just don't, you know, that, that, that shouldn't happen to us, right? Uh, um, we, we get discouraged. When we get discouraged, we almost kind of feel ashamed. We're almost kind of embarrassed to share or, or guilty, if you will. We don't want anybody to know that we're, we're discouraged. I'm sure when you greeted your neighbor this morning, those of you that were going through something, and I'm guessing you spoke up and said, hey, man, I'm really discouraged today. I, uh, just, I'm, I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. I've had it. No, many of us, don't, they don't do that, if any at all. Um, we, we almost do something that's worst. Worst. It's almost worse than that. <clears throat> we just ignore the dangers uh, of, of, of discouragement, of prolonging that discouragement in our life. We hold on to it even longer inside. And I want to talk to you today, and my hope is, I, my sincere hope and, and prayer is that the Word of God can be encouraging to you today, to all of those who are faced with an overwhelming feeling of discouragement. And I wanted, before I get started here, I wanted to give you some, some indications, some, some signs, some symptoms, if you will, of discouragement. <clears throat> when we start feeling discouraged, one of the things that we do is we start questioning God. That's one of the things we do. We start questioning God. God had just delivered um, the children of Israel from over 400 years of slavery, of 400 years of, of, of bondage. He had just parted the Red Sea, uh, <laughs> and they walked across on the bottom of the ocean, dry ground floor, if you will, and no sooner than they got across, and they're saying, why? Why, why God? Why, why are we in this desert? Why, why are we going through this? Why you know, are we in this wilderness? It's been too long. <clears throat> so we question God. <clears throat> Another symptom that we start is we start comparing ourselves to others. You get discouraged, and because the guy is doing more next to you than you're doing, all of a sudden you're getting discouraged. If, if you just stop comparing yourself for just a minute to other people, and, and you just remember where you came from, just remember you know, where you started, just remember how much God has blessed you, 
the children of Israel quickly forgot the hard times and the slavery that God had just brought them out of. And we do the same thing. We forget where we came from. Look at the house you live in. Look at the, the, the backyard as it's been drug <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's for Jer- personal for Jeremiah. And, and uh, they're having some work done in their backyard. But still, look at the, look at the car you drive, you know. Look at, we talked about AC. We're in AC today. Look, look how good God's blessed you and your family and, and your children and your marriage. Comparing. Another symptom is we get impatient. And the weight alone, the weight alone gets us discouraged. <clears throat> We're so stinking about ourselves. It's like I want it and I want it now. That's the culture that we all live in today. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Um, But God's laws say that you plant a seed and water, and then what do you do? You wait. And you wait, Dan. You wait for that garden. And then you got what? The harvest. But there's this time where you can't ignore the wait time. When a woman gets pregnant, the doctor gives her a due date, and then what do you do? You wait. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we don't think. But more often we try to push God and push God's timing. Scripture says when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son. And then it says in Acts, uh, 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 when the day of Pentecost was fully come, then God sent his spirit. John chapter 5, verse 4, the sick had to wait for a certain season it says then that they, they go into the water for their healing. But they had to wait. It, it, it wasn't happening all the time. They had to wait for that certain due season, that certain season when the angel would come and trouble the water. And then they would go in and get healed. There was a waiting. You, you can't force something to happen out of season. You have to wait on God's timing. You have to wait. Another thing for many, when they get discouraged, it will cause them to lose enthusiasm. You know, like enthusiasm about life. Enthusiasm about God, about purpose, about, you know, everything. No, no passion at all. Isolation is a glaring symptom of, of discouragement. The, listen to me very closely. The devil, the devil wants you to isolate yourself. That's what he wants. He wants you to pull away from people. He wants you to pull away from family. He wants you to pull away from church. Get discouraged. Get depressed. Cave in emotionally and isolate yourself. I want you to listen really closely for those that need or tend to kind of go away and isolate themselves when they get discouraged. Anytime the enemy isolates you, it's to devastate you. When you feel least like coming to church, that's the best sign in the world that you better be here. Another symptom of discouragement is paralysis. Dis- discouragement causes us to freeze up. It causes us to be unable to move, no action, afraid to do anything, take any chance, take any risk. And that's why when Elijah uh, got discouraged, he ran and he hid from Jezebel into a cave. And God questions Elijah in, in 2 Kings. Says, God says, how long have you been stuck here paralyzed? That's not good. Discouragement will show up in your talk. Your words will be f- filled with negativity Mixed in with, with uh, whining and complaining and self-pity and oh me. Discouragement, listen to me, produces cowards. The word itself, this courage, 
discourage. It's to pull, it's to suck out all of the courage out of a person. To be discouraged is to lose all courage. Uh, you don't want to step out. You don't want to try. You don't want to risk. Discouragement will make you a coward if you let it. <clears throat> Discouragement will cause you to even question what God has already affirmed to you with authority, dynamically affirmed to you. Discouragement had John the Baptist second, base, second guessing. I mean, John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan. John chapter 1, verse 32, it says, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him. And then John announces, uh, announces uh, out loud in front of everybody, Behold, that's the Lamb of God. I mean, he was, uh, he was uh, a personal revelation was to him. I know who he is. He's, he's the Lamb of God. That's him right there. And only a few months later, John the Baptist is arrested and put in prison. And John sends his disciples to Jesus where he is because he feels abandoned and he feels discouraged. And he tells them to ask Jesus a question. And he says, just go and ask him. You know, after all of this, is he really the one? And when Jesus hears it, he says, what, what do you mean is, am I really the one? He's the one who told me, told us I'm really the one. John's thinking, did I really see the dove? Did I really hear that voice? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Did God really confirm to me? If discouragement can hit John the Baptist, don't you think it could hit us too? I mean, get to the point where we question our own experiences, like, do I really have the Spirit of God in me? Do, I wonder about the experience I had at the altar. And, and, and the enemy goes through that with us, doesn't he? Makes you second guess what you said. Discouragement does that. You second guess what Jesus and what you said Jesus means to you. Makes you second guess the will of God. Makes you, the things will come in your life and you'll have questions about the love of God. How in the world could a loving God allow this to happen? And I want to pause here just for a second because I know that I'm talking to some people here that are discouraged. So I'm going to pause in the name of Jesus. And I want to come against, I want to come against negativism. I, I want to come against despair. I want to come against hopelessness. I want to come against fear. I want to come against worry. I want to come against despondency. I want to come against depression. I want to come against frustration. I want to come against feelings of failure. And I want to come against thoughts of quitting, thoughts of giving up, thoughts of, of, of suicide even. I'm here today to tell you that God is greater than any of your discouragement. And I'm going to say something right now. I'm going to call upon the power in the name of Jesus Christ to release a new faith, a new hope, and a new confidence, a new determination to baptize us, to, to saturate us with courage. Be ye encouraged in the name of Jesus. Let's give him some praise today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Today I want to open, or want you to, I should say, open your hearts and your minds to encouragement. And I want to use um, David in the Bible to do that. So I need, I'm going to read some scripture here. It's quite lengthy, so bear with me. But everybody knows that Samuel was a prophet in, in, in the scripture, and, he was, and, and 
his, one of his responsibilities was to anoint the next king. And so here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? How long are you going to do that? Fill your horn with oil and go anoint. You'll go do what you're supposed to do. I, I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Go talk to Jesse. It's his, one of his sons. Skip down to verse 6. When they, when they came, he, he looked at Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This has got to be him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look, check this out, on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected that guy. That's not the one. For the Lord, get this, and we could put a whole sermon around this next statement. For the Lord sees not a man as, as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's move on to verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And, um, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen these guys. And then verse 11 says, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains one, yet the youngest one. Behold, he's just um, a shepherd boy, just a, a young boy, and he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. We're not going to sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy. It means he was, he was um, like fair-complected and red-haired. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about. And beautiful eyes, it says, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. <laughs> just a kid, just a little boy. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. My first point to you today. To be encouraged, my first point of encouragement is see God in every situation. It's a perspective. It's an attitude. When everything is going nuts, when you've been taken advantage of, when your marriage is on the rocks, when finances are slim to none. See God. See God. He's right there. That song fits so well. He's never left you. You see, it's an attitude. It, it, it's a mindset. I see God. He's with me right here. If we could get that straight in our minds and in our hearts, guys... We could run through, through walls. I mean, it's unbelievable. Your trust in him says, even when you don't see him, your trust in him says, you know what? He's there. I may not see you, but I'm going to press forward because I know that you're right beside me. David was just a young boy, and he saw God in, in every situation. As just a young shepherd boy, <clears throat> he doesn't hesitate. Listen to me. He doesn't hesitate to face off and go head-to-head -head with a lion and a bear to protect the, 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 He was a shepherd, so he's protecting his sheep, and he kills them. I know all of you have done that before. That's a 
you know, it's something very common. But you have faced lions and bears in your life before. And the attitude that he had there was, God's with me. Let's do this thing. That was David's mindset. He saw God in everything. He knew God would, would, listen to me, the word I'm using there, he knew God was going to step in. He knew God was going to step in and take care of the situation. I remember I was just a young boy with, with brothers seven and nine years older than me. And I knew um, that what I couldn't take care of, my big brothers would. How many know that? If you've got any big brothers, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I, there was, there were, listen to me, there was no question as a young boy I had all the confidence, maybe a little bit too much confidence. I had all the confidence in the world because I knew I had my big brothers. I had my big brothers. Now I want you to look at Psalms chapter 16, verse 8. David, this is David who writes this. I have set the Lord always. Everybody say always. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my, this is how David thought. He is at my right hand and I'm not going to be moved. I have all the confidence in the world. It's a given. I see God right there. Uh, uh, He's right beside me. I'm not going to waver. You see, the devil doesn't want you to see God in your situation. (laughs) He wants you to see the giant. He he wants you to see the lion. He wants you to face on with your problem. He wants to, to be glaring right in your face and for your folks to be totally on that problem. But he doesn't want you to see God. But listen close. David, listen, this is so important. This is the point I'm trying to, David chose, he chose to see God in everything. And that's why he didn't get overwhelmed with the bad times. Remember when David fought the the, the giant Goliath. Goliath was threatening the army, the trained army. These are people that are at least 20 years old and above. He's just a... 15-year-old approximately, we don't know for sure, but about 15-year-old boy by the name of David shows up with an army with a slingshot, with a slingshot and attacks the giant. And on the way to attack the giant, I want you to listen what he yells out. Hey, listen, you come to me with a sword and a spear, and I come to you in the name, in the almighty name of God. You see, he knew God was right there. David saw the almighty God right there at his right hand. The point here is that it's a choice that we all have to make in our situations. God will never, the Bible says, never leave you. He'll never forsake you. God is with you. Listen to me. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he is with you. But listen, acknowledging him has everything in the world to do with your attitude. It has everything to do in the world about your state of mind, about your confidence. So David has been anointed king by God via the prophet Samuel, but Saul gets ticked at him. The king gets ticked at David because the people are singing in the streets, oh, David, or, or, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. And boy, that ticked Saul off. And it made him irate. And so David goes on the run, and he starts running, and Saul uh, sends his finest trained soldiers out to go kill David. And so this psalm that I'm about to read to you that David wrote was what was happening when all of the king and all of his men were surrounding David in his home to kill him. And in Psalms chapter 59, it says, Deliver me, listen to me, 
listen to how he's thinking as he's worshiping here, as he's praying. He says, there's no question about it. You'll see this. Deliver me from my enemies, oh my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 8. It says, but you, he's talking to God, but you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall laugh at them. You shall have all of the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength. Uh, uh, for God is my defense. God is my defender. Uh, um, uh, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. My God of mercy shall be there to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. So Saul and his finest warriors are all surrounding David. And David's in his living room, right? And, and, and he's just worshiping God. He's praying. Another thing that's normal about all of us, right? And our back's up against the wall. It is worshiping the Lord. Is that what you do? Is that what I do? I wish. I wish every time we had a, my back was up against the wall that I'd turn to him and know that he's right beside me. So this is David's mindset. In the midst of that circumstance, right in the middle of it, he's worshiping God. Oh God, you know what? I have done nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I don't deserve this. Come help me out. I come to you and defend, defend my life against these bloodthirsty men. David had a mindset that no matter the circumstances, he was thinking about God. He, wouldn't, he would not let, again, a choice, the devil. He wouldn't let the devil take his awareness away from God. He was like, God's right beside me. Look, God, God he, he's bigger than, than any giants. He's bigger than any bears. He's bigger than, than any enemies. He's bigger than any problems that I have. The worst thing, guys, that could ever happen is that I forget that he's with me. Because if we ever forget that God is with us, it's game over. It's game over. It's easy for the enemy to discourage us if we don't keep God in our minds. When we keep God before us, what happens is we see this huge God in this little tiny devil. It's a perspective. When your mind is always on God, it feeds your faith when your mind is on God. And, it, and, and your fears begin to starve when your mind is on God. With your, with your mindset being always God, regardless of the circumstances, you're going to be an encourager. David was kicked out of the Philistine camp. His wife and his children were taken captive. The town that he lived in was burned down. And three chapters later, he's anointed king. He decides in the worst moment of his life that he's going to be an encourager. The devil wants you to, wants you to be used as a disc to discourage people. That's what he wants. With words that destroy, uh, to be the person always known as the person who gives that negative report. That's exactly what he wants. And you have a decision to make to spread discouragement or to, to spread encouragement. Make up your mind. Am I going to use my mouth 
to, to encourage people or am I going to use my mouth to overwhelm people with discouragement? Because it's a choice that we all have to make every day when we make up. We have to decide, am I going to let my mind be, be godless, dark, depressed? And you see, that's really what the devil's terrified of right there. All of us making that decision to keep our minds on God. That's what the enemy's terrified of. It, it keeps the devil from accomplishing what he wants to do. The second point of encouragement today <clears throat> is that we need to get a grip on reality. Get a grip on reality. Our expectations need to be realistic. I think that's important. When we start with any premarital counseling, with any you know, couple that's going to get married, our very first thing is, is we start talking about expectations. You know, the last thing you want is to get, you know, a year into marriage and go, oh, yeah. Uh, didn't know that. So setting expectations or understanding the, being realistic with your expectations is important. David was anointed king of Israel. It's a good thing that he, he wasn't like thinking, you know, oh, cool, Roll out the red carpet. Let's get this thing. Let's do this thing. I'm the king now. No. Once Samuel anointed him as king, the dominoes began to fall. It starts problem after problem after problem. David goes to the front lines of the army. He goes to kill a Goliath. The king turns to go against him and, and, and kill him. He, he turns to David himself, to the Philistines, the enemy. His family is taken by the Amalekites. Uh, his men are speaking about stoning him. Problem after problem after problem. See, here's what David knew there's going to be a fight and I'm going to win there's going to be a fight and I'm going to win we need to get a grip on reality uh, let me tell you something just something about life in general and, and if you think this way you'll never be overwhelmed with discouragement there's going to be a fight and you're going to win Guys, there's going to be a fight, and we're going to win. Jesus said it in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulations. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. You know, Jesus is saying right here, there's going to be a fight, but you're going to win. In this world, you're going to have troubles, but he said, I've already ever come in the world. In, in, in Romans, Paul says in chapter 5, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Tribulations? Why are you glorying in tribulations? Knowing that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Paul's saying here, expect problems. But God's going to do good things through those problems. There's going to be a fight. But you're going to win. And so David was a person that didn't you know, get overwhelmed by the fight because it, it was fight after fight after fight after fight. And, and David had a grip on reality. He's, he's, in his mind, he's saying, there's going to be a fight, but I'm going to win. There's going to be a fight, but we're going to win. Everybody say that together. There's going to be a fight, but we're going to win. Listen to me, those who are chronically, listen to me, chronically discouraged, they have no grip on reality. They, here's what they expect. They expect victory without any difficulty. How many know what I'm talking about? 
I told the Lord, I said, you know, God, God's, uh, through all this COVID stuff, I lost my job at uh, Enterprise, been there for 20 years. And the day I got it, I said, Lord, and the day I got, you know, laid off or whatever, I said, Lord, I don't want to just go do anything. I want to do what you want me to do. And uh, so right away, preschool came to my mind because we had just talked about it in a board meeting. And I had already done some numbers, and I was way off on those, but still. Um, <clears throat> I then started getting serious about it because I felt like, you know, God's impressive on me to go do this. This is the same day I got let, let go. And then I kind of let it go for a while and let all the other junk seep into my brain. And Crystal comes back to me later on in the day, and she goes, you know what? I can't get over this. God's trying to tell me we got we to gotta do this preschool thing. So I thought, well, Lord, if you want me to do this, remove all the barriers. Make, I cannot, I, I can't go through all the struggles and all the problems. This is just, this is Pastor Steve, you know. Make it easy, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to know what's coming. There's going to be a fight. But I'm saying we're going to win. There's going to be a fight, but we're going to win. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing just happened to you. But rejoice, again, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see, Peter's saying, you, you've got some problems here. Guys, that's life. That, that's just life. Don't, don't be overwhelmed at the, at the fiery trial. It, it, that's, that's common stuff. You see, there's going to be a fight, but you're going to win. That's what, that's what Peter's saying here. You're, you're going to have a fight, guys, in your marriage but you're going to win. You're going to have a, a fight in your, in your, in your kid, with your kids, but, but you're going to win. You're going to have a fight in your ministry, but, but you're going to win. It's going to be a fight, but you're going to win. There'll be a fight. The devil's going to fight you. He's going to put all the giants that you can, he can muster in your path and in your journey. You know what? <laughs> He'll pretty much leave you alone if you're heading to hell. I'm serious. You don't want to detour that. <clears throat> but when you turn to God and you decide that you're going to live for Jesus, that's when the battle begins. You see, guys, there's going to be a fight, but you're going to win. There's, there's going to be a fight. Real stuff here, real stuff. In every good thing that you'll ever do in life, there's going to be a fight. I'm going to say it another way. If there's not a fight, you better double-check your direction. My final point of encouragement today. Rest in God's grace as the worship team comes. Rest in God's grace. We, we need to rest in the fact that, listen to me, God wants, it's his desire to give you his love and his mercy not because of anything that you've done, not because you've earned it. 
David hadn't earned being king, of course. In fact, he didn't have any credentials at all to be king. He was too young, too small, untrained. There was nothing, nothing that qualified David to be king except one thing. God wanted him to be king. You, you, you see, there's an <laughs> X factor. God chose him. God chose David to be king. That's the only thing that qualified David. Let me say this. It's not about, it's not about my performance. It's not about your performance. It's about his grace. It's about God's grace. Every single time my back's been up against the wall by my own doing, God's had mercy on me and restored my situation. Every single time. The soldiers of Saul surrounded David with intentions of killing him. And in the midst of that, David said, my God of mercy shall come. He's going to come to me. My God of mercy is coming to me. And he's going to deliver me. He's going to deliver me from my enemies. My God of mercy. Guys, when everything is falling apart, the devil always wants to show up and make it all about you. Oh, you know, you're not doing good enough. You know, you're, you're, you're a failure. You're not qualified for this. You know, God, God can't use you anymore. He can't use you, all your failures, all your inadequacies. Shall we stand today? I want you to tell him something. When the devil shows up and starts messing with you. I want you to tell him, I, I, I don't have to be qualified. The blood of Jesus Christ is qualified. It's by his grace that I'm qualified. Done. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Done. You're not going to make this devil about me. You, you know, I know. I know my weakness. I know I'm weak. I know I, I don't know enough. I know I'm inexperienced. I know that. But I serve a gracious God, and my God of mercy will come. 